you know, to mm. pick up. 50 years is quite a, a milestone indeed. I, I, I'm actually even surprised at myself that I've managed to reach that far, especially in South Africa. You know, you speak about a cutthroat business. Internationally, it's, it's an acceptable norm. But in South Africa, given that it's a, it's, it, was, it has always been an industry that is so closed and uh, not really not really an industry really so one to be able to sustain 50 years of it is quite uh, well the fact that i've managed to sustain you know that many years itself you know i i, I wouldn't um, attribute success to, to to material you know and uh, all the other things but i think one is able to impart and share the experiences to be able to be still uh, actively involved in the industry and be able to impart some of those experiences and the knowledge to some of the coming up and coming young musicians that for me i consider uh, the relative success that i had aforementioned well it's 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 the people it's the people that know you it's the people that you understand i I live amongst the wonderful people, you know, and these are the people that I've always uh, supported, su- uh, supported and and uh, encouraged me, and they've always been there, you know, t- through trials and tribulations. So you feel that you cannot lose that. Every time when I see young people, always young children going to school, you know, they they walk past me every morning. And the first thing they do, they look at my house, and when they see me come out, I can see elation on their faces. And that for me makes me feel that, you know what, you can't live this for anything else, for anywhere else. Speaking of the people... Wow, Aubrey's from, wow, yes, a new shopping center. He still remembers that. Uh, yeah. Aubrey, you get your 50,000 soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, this, you know, th- that's one of the places that we, we used to practice at. Uh, Joe Snowball, who used to be our, um, he was he was a head prefect at school. You know, his uncle owned a shopping center. But, you, you know, rehearsal spaces has always been one of the most challenging uh, uh uh, points in our uh, musical careers, so we would move for from uh, uh, Orlando Dry Cleaners to Perfetti uh, Shopping Mall. People were always amenable. People loved us, mm. you know. So when we requested for space for rehearsal, you know, there will always be people who are saying, "Okay, come and rehearse here." And New Shopping Center was one of those places, and I didn't even realize. Of course, I didn't know Aubrey then. You know, he probably was there and he probably either lives in Madeline's or he li- he lived in, in Pefeni. And that's, that's where we used to rehearse as well. Yeah, well, you know, you know, drumming is a very special instrument that a lot of people don't even understand. Drumming is, as a drummer, you're a messenger, more than just a musical, you know, uh, um, timekeeper. You know, you keep time, you you, disse- you disseminate information. You know, since time immemorial, the drum has always been this instrument that sends out information. You want to call the villagers. One of the first things mm. that you play is a drum. So my experience, it was even much earlier than eight, eight years. Of course, when you want to speak about the professional, you know, drumming, yes, maybe eight years was when I began to dabble in a 
kettle drum with a, a you know cadet band but i started much earlier five years i think i was because i was influenced by the traditional healers who were always around my home in shantytown and you'd be hearing this drum all you know if sometimes overnight but instead of getting angry you know it, it was something that was almost like a spiritual you know mm. and i would go and wake up in the morning and the old man would call me that emanuelo he used to live opposite my home he'd see that i'm fascinated with this thing you know with a drum and one morning he called me they come and play and that's where i got my senses of rhythm and so on and just developed the interest in the drum but of course music was just something that you know surrounded our uh, communities on sundays church music and during uh, on fridays you know celebratory moods of people singing iskatamia so music has always been something that you know one has been uh, surrounded with and the family how did they how did they take to all of this well my family you know wasn't to show uh, because first of all musical influences in our societies is not so, it has always been taboo it's, it's not something that people consider it a career mm. that you can build you can create you know a family out of and grow a, in, into a a a lifestyle that is convenient i don't know how my parents felt but my mother certainly wasn't quite happy she wanted me to to be an academic i also wanted to be an academic but uh, you know fate is something that always determines one's future you could always think that your life is all set and done uh, you're in school you're, you're going to be a doctor because that's what society wanted to but for some reason i was overwhelmed by music and here i am 50 years later oh I'd, man you know I've, I've, uh, in a way I've, i i probably have been one of the very few privileged musicians to have you know experienced so much love from all those musicians that you've mentioned um especially Miriam you know i mean when i was requested to come and produce her album it's something that i'd never ever imagined in my lifetime that Miriam could ask me to produce an album for her i mean she could have asked the Quincy Jones she could have asked the Kaifa Semenya for that matter but for some reason um that love just spread so i i'd i'd love to believe that you know the privileges that i've uh, you know i've been accorded by the music industry is that I've, i've been able to spread myself beyond perhaps that's also the, another reason why the 50 years because i being a curious musician that i am you know always inquis- inquisitively trying to to understand and learn different things and dabble in all other kinds mm. of music i think it's something that really contributed to the to to the uh, longevity and um yeah those musicians you made a contribution to to what i've become and some of them not necessarily all the names that were known there are other those who are obscure i mean young chico was was always there as well there is the great lemmy special there was western cause so there was there'd been all these mus- not only musicians but also people who are in the music industry peter gallo at gallo mm. made a 
tremendous contribution, you know, even though at that time you worked with Harari, but even with my own. Ivor Harberger, these were people that were helping me nature the, the career, my career in music. And of course, my mother, yeah, I think, you know, as I say, it was privilege. I was, I was fortunate. And I'm, I'm, I'm and you, I think one of the, the, the advantages we had was that we started this being students at high school. So the little bit of education enabled us to, to interrogate, to navigate the, the challenges that, you know, were, were pervading that, that industry, being able to, 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 to challenge the status quo with, with, the, with, with the industry uh, and the administrators to be able to say, no, these are the things that we feel we would like to have in our, you know, in our contracts and so on. And, of course, introduction of royalties. We probably were one of the first group to introduce a royalty rate that we f- felt was, uh, was uh, um, um, fair. You know, the Beatles had a leader in a young man called Selby Tuli. Very challenging, you know. Selby, Selby was a true leader in a true sense because uh, he was able to break down certain barriers. For instance, our first trip to Durban, you know, we we played in a in a venue called. Uh, there's a hotel, was called the Himalaya. Now, the Himalaya Hotel was the only ho- hotel where you'd find musicians playing, but most musicians were al- allowed to p- perform there were Indian and colored musicians. Black people were were basically people who cleaned and were in the back room and dishes. But for some reason, we went in there, Selby, spoke to Mr. Green, if I remember, and this man looks at us. He's never heard Africans speak English. And he said, where are you guys from? I said, well, we're, we're from Johannesburg, you know, in that. He says, hmm. And you call yourselves musicians? What kind of music music do you play? We say we play better than those musicians that you have. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Green said, oh, yeah, come for for the first time. And it was always Indians and coloreds were always, uh, well, I hate using the word color, Mm. people of color, you know, um, who sit for lunchtime uh, performance. So as we walked in there, you could have seen these people like, Amazed, and we went on stage. We rocked it. The band that played there on the day was its last performance. We took over, and we took over Durban basically from then. The whole of Durban, all the hotels that were only, you know, black uh, Indian and mm-hmm. color, uh, people of color, ex- enabled us to to perform all of. But this was the kind of leadership that Selby had. And of course, and then we went to, to Zim, our first trip to, then of course it was known as Rhodesia. And there was this groundswell of the liberation war and so on. And of course, we came, being a student band, we, we, we were sort of, um, Embraced by universities mm. because we were high school, you know, and which were a bedrock of political, you know, uh, um, liberation struggle. So the black consciousness movement, there was that whole groundswell of it. Where Steve Biko, for instance, said, why should black people call themselves by strange names when we could even call ourselves by African names? And of course, once we got to Zim, 
we were embraced by the people of Zimbabwe, Harare. Mm. And it just was something that was, you know, natural for us from the Beatles to Harare. And of course, even the music changed because suddenly we were exposed to music that we've never really heard in South Africa. And uh, we recorded a song called Harare. Mm. Wow. We come back to South Africa. It's a song that is played on every radio station that demands, you know, we suddenly win uh, awards in this country. And there are riots at festivals and people are drowning themselves in waters and so on. And, uh, wow, it was uh, the influence of black consciousness, you know. Then we became Harari. The rest became part of the progression of history. <laughs> you know, I, I think you will, uh, if you, because you will remember that you and Miriam were in exile. I was not in exile. But, you know, when we got to Brussels to record an album, I had asked Brahew, I had a very, very close relationship with him. And I asked the record company if I could get Human Sekela to play on my, my recording. And of course, he agreed and he came to, to Brussels. And Mazi was there. Mazi used to live in Brussels. Mazi is Miriam Makeba. You know, we affectionately called her that. And she lived in Brussels and she would cook for us. And, they were, you know, we would reminisce and talk about, you know, home and so on. But, you know, because we had done a show in Lesotho, that's where uh, most of the relationship happened. We did a show in Lesotho, and they were very close to home. And all they could see was just across the border. Mm. And it was something very emotional because I was always with them. And I could see, I could feel it in them, that the longing for coming home is so profound that uh, when we had finished recording in Brussels, of course, they, they drove me. Uh, to the airport. Well, Mazi, you know, took us to the airport and, of course, she was going to stay behind, but Brahe was going to New York and I was coming to South Africa. One of the things they both said to me, Brahe said, I looked at him in his eyes and I could, I could see it, you know, that he was, he wishes that, you know, I was, we were going together. And Miriam said to me, when do you think we're coming home? And I said, soon. <laughs>